While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Matthew 26 Welcome to Canaanbaum Podcast, a podcast designed to offer the Christian rest during life's journey. Canaanbaum Podcast is a compilation of audio devotions from pastors serving in the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod, along with music, church history, and other various items. My name is Tom Barthel, serving as a pastor at Trinity Lutheran, a Wells congregation in Nina, Wisconsin. This is episode 107. We'll begin with God's Word for You, shared by Pastor Timothy Smith. God's Word for You, Job 35, 9-16, verse 9. People cry out under a load of oppression. They plead for relief from the arm of the powerful. Have you heard the, say, the saying, there are no atheists in foxholes? Uh, some younger people might not understand what that means. A foxhole is a hole, whether wide or narrow, dug by a soldier in a war to hide himself. And especially overnight while he sleeps, but also in the middle of a battle. Sometimes a foxhole is just big enough for one person. Other times it might be big enough for for a dozen people. But the scene that the saying describes is the feeling of soldiers in the foxhole during a battle who fear for their lives. As bullets whiz past and the noise and smoke of explosions are all around, they turn to God in prayer. Few who have been in a foxhole in a battle have not turned to God at some point in a prayer. Elihu's point here isn't about foxhole Christians, but about what happens to them when the battle is over, when bad times turn back to good times again. Verses 10 and following. No one says, where is God my maker who gives songs in the night, who teaches us more than he teaches the beasts of the earth and makes us wiser than the birds of the sky? He, that is God, does not answer when people cry out because of the arrogance of the wicked. Indeed, God does not listen to their empty plea. The Almighty pays no attention to it. How much less then will he listen when you say that you do not see him, that your case is before him and you must wait for him, and further, that his anger never punishes and he does not take the least notice of wickedness. There are several differences between Elihu and Job's other friends. Searching out these differences would make, I I think, a pretty deep and penetrating study, but that isn't our purpose right now. And I fear that uh, devotions on a book this long and and as unwavering as Job might be too taxing on some listeners. That's why we'll finish all of Elihu's speeches um, very soon and get to God's words from the storm very soon. But But one difference between Elihu and the others is that this younger man doesn't spend time fishing for a certain sin of Job's. Instead, he shines a light on Job's claim of innocence and he asks whether Job is really innocent before God. And this serves at least two purposes. On the one hand, it helps us to close off the arguments in general and it gets us ready to listen to God. On the other hand, it also invites Job to look inside himself and question whether or not he is truly ready to listen to his maker in person. Even the great prophets of the Bible fell down in fear and trembling when confronted with the visions of the Lord. The last verse. So Job opens his mouth with empty talk, without knowledge. He multiplies words. Elihu finishes his thoughts in this chapter with a little couplet that summarizes his intended meaning. 
Job talks too much. Job needs to think and to listen and to repent. So much of Elihu's words are just chatter that it's, uh, I think it's easy to lose sight of the gems, but there are such things here. Elihu is not quite complex, but there's a lot of clay mixed in with his iron. He's like a pretty good sword that is untempered or inexperienced or untried. Doubtless, he would become a great and wise man among his people, famous in later life for having been one of the great and famous friends of Job, probably the last one surviving. We pray that no matter how old or how young we might be, God will continue to help us to grow in wisdom, to learn a little more every single day, to trust in our Savior more and more every day, and give us a little more encouragement from the glorious and beautiful gospel of forgiveness. Teach us, Lord, to open our mouths with anything but empty talk, with knowledge that multiplies by its words. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's word for you. Up next, a song by Koine from their Christmas album, Emmanuel Lux. This song is titled, Where Shepherds Lately Knelt. Shepherds lately knelt and kept the angel's word I come in half-belief, a pilgrim strangely stirred But there is room and welcome there for me But there is room and welcome there for me
Yes, there is room and welcome there for me. Bible truths are shared by the elders at St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Bemidji, Minnesota. Bible truths, question number 10. Significance of Communion? What is so significant about Communion? Communion, also called the Lord's Supper, is one of God's means of grace for Christians, where He gives them Himself for the forgiveness of sins, new life, and salvation. Receiving the Lord's Supper strengthens their faith and empowers them to resist daily sinful temptations of the devil, the world, and their own sinful flesh. God knows that the devil is constantly working like a roaring lion to devour anyone he can. God also knows that we need nourishment to fend off the devil. We get this nourishment through the Lord's Supper as we remember what Jesus went through in order to accomplish the work of salvation for all people. Christians receive the forgiveness of their sins when the Lord's Supper is given and received according to Jesus' directions. This is why communion is so important for Christians. When Christians prepare for communion, they confess all their sins, the sins they are aware of and the sins they are not aware of. These are sins of thought, word, and deed. When Christians approach the table to receive the Lord's Supper, they remember the great sacrifice Jesus made when he left his glory in heaven to die a gruesome death on the cross and give them the gift of eternal life unconditionally. Jesus then gives them his own body and blood together with bread and wine with his words, given for you for the forgiveness of your sins. How can it be that God gives us himself in his supper? Human reason cannot explain it. Christians simply trust Jesus when he says, This is my body, this is my blood. They believe him because he has the power to do anything. What an awesome blessing the Lord's Supper is. Christians want to take it as directed by Jesus and treat it as sacred rather than something viewed as just an activity done in church. In the Lord's Supper, sins are forgiven, souls receive incredible nourishment, and one's heart is uplifted knowing that eternal life has been won. Thank God for this wonderful blessing. God's Word on Communion from the NIV, Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 28. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We continue with First Peter, shared by Pastor Mark Falk. First Peter 1, 14-16, Chasing Holiness As you obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy, NIV 1984. There's a line in Remember the Titans where a player talks about pursuing perfection. It's halftime of the state championship football game. Uh, The coach, Coach Boone, has just told his players what every coach ought to say to young men who are putting their best efforts on the line. Well, something like this. Anyone can see that you are putting everything out there. Win or lose, you will be champions. The player responds with this sentiment. If you don't mind, coach, we want more. You asked for perfection from us this year, and we want to win this game 
and be perfect. Great Hollywood moment, and then the Titans win. God grant to each of us that kind of spirit in life. Paul is not afraid to use, afraid to use athletic pictures to urge God's children on to gain the prize. We are striving for more than a trophy or a laurel wreath. Super Bowl and World Series wins are great moments, but they fade quickly. Unless our team wins or loses, most of us cannot even remember who was in the championship just a year ago, much less 10 years ago or 20. On our path to heaven, God urges us to be holy like him. And this command is serious and earnest. One of my sainted seminary professors once said, Gentlemen, I wish I could sin all I wanted to, for then I would not sin at all. I think some of us may have been thinking, I wish I could sin all I wanted to and not get in trouble or suffer any consequences for it. But the professor was speaking as a serious Christian. He also confessed that he had a problem with covetousness and gambling. If he was on a cruise ship, he would have to stay far away from the place where the slots were, or he would lose control. He was serious about his sinful heart. He wanted to be holy and to serve his holy God. C.S. Lewis said something like this at one time, The reason most of us aren't any holier than we are is that we never really intended to be. Whatever you may think about Lewis, that is a comment with some real insight. Do I really want to be holy? What does that mean? What will I have to start doing? What will I have to give up? What dark corners of my soul will need to be exposed to the light? And then there is this. While some preachers have falsely said that God never commands us to do anything that we cannot accomplish, this command to be holy is clearly beyond my grasp. It is a goal I will strive for until the end. With God's help, my life as a Christian will become more and more sanctified or holy. But the weeds in my heart are more like crabgrass than ragweed. I love ragweed. When you pull it, it stays pulled. But crabgrass has roots all over the place, deep underground, runners, stubborn, spreading where I cannot see them and have a tough time killing them. So above all, the command to be holy like God must drive us to him with this prayer. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then let the cross appear before the eyes of faith. Ah, this happened to Jesus because God demands holiness of me and because I cannot and have not produced it. Jesus, the Holy One of God, must step into my shoes, climb onto my cross, accept my nails, my forsakenness, my guilt and pain. When we contemplate our holiness and then look to the cross, we rejoice that God has found a way by faith in His Son to welcome unholy sinners into His presence. And by His Holy Spirit, He works to make of us what He wants, His holy people. To God the Holy One, be all the glory. Amen. Moment with the Master, shared by Pastor Aaron Nitz. Hello once again, and welcome to a Moment with the Master. Today our verse that we will, will consider is from Matthew chapter 4, and this is part of when uh, the devil was tempting Jesus. And it says in verses 8 to 10, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, 
if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In our vacation Bible school, we went through something called diving in um, to scripture. And each day we learned about a sea creature that corresponds in some way to a portion of scripture. And uh, one of the nights we learned about a uh, the, the black dragonfish. Apparently it lives deep in the ocean where it's very dark and gives off a little light to attract little fish to swim to it and then chomp, it devours them. Isn't that kind of like what Satan does to you and me? He, lure, he tries to lure us into temptation, tries to make sin sound so pleasing, so nice, so good, so beneficial for us, and then chomp, he gets us to fall. What's his lure? Is it lust, greed, selfishness, anger, lying? You name it. Well, Jesus also allowed himself to be tempted by the devil. The devil tried his hardest. Just bow down to me and take the easy route to glory. No rejection, no pain, no suffering, no cross, no bitter death. Of course, it's all a lie, but he doesn't care. And what, and what did Jesus do? For every time you and I have given in to the devil's temptation, for every time you and I have loved sin more than God, for every time we've plunged ourselves into the devil's jaws, Jesus didn't. Jesus stood firm perfectly for you. Away from me, Satan, he said. Jesus never fell into temptation, and he did so for you. Jesus lived perfectly for you. And Jesus did something else, too. He took the, that road of suffering and death on the cross. Why? To pay for all your sins and failures in full. Thanks to Jesus' rescue, his unending strength and his mighty word, the devil must flee you and me, too. Indeed, it's true. One little word, one little word of God's word can fell him. I'm thanking God for Jesus' faithfulness for me, just like you. May the Lord richly bless your day in him. We'll close with another song shared by Koine.
Once gold and myrrh, compassant king to own him, the king of kings, salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. You have been listening to Canaan Bound Podcast, episode 107. This episode was first shared in December of 2015. For more information, visit CanaanBoundPodcast.com. We'd like to thank the artist Koine for allowing us to share music from their Christmas album, Emmanuel Lux. You can find more information at KoineMusic.com. We encourage you to visit a Wells Ministry location nearest you. Visit wells.net. Thanks for joining us.